Hi, I'm Chris, and welcome to this week's episode of To Be Published, a podcast that provides organizational leaders with the tools to integrate and synchronize, sustain it, and to generate combat power. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the Combined Arms Center, or Army University. So today, we'll be focusing on the defense, and particularly combat engineer support to the defense, including the missions of counter-mobility and survivability. We'll be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Andy Team, a career engineer officer. Andy is currently an instructor and team leader at the Command and General Staff College. Andy, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on here. Yeah, if you could start, give us a little bit of uh, information about your background and what brings you here to Leavenworth? Yeah, so as you said, I'm a career engineer officer. I've spent the majority of my time uh, in engineer formations within Armor Brigade combat teams and spent uh, two different tours in division engineer staffs, both the 2nd ID in Korea, uh, 1st Infantry Division at Fort Riley in OIR, um, and then spent just under two years at the National Training Center as a Sidewinder 03, the S3 trainer for the maneuver support training team. And, and then I've been here ever since as the engineer branch representative on the, on the Department of Army Tactics uh, faculty for, the, for CGSC. Awesome. And so some great background uh, to really help us uh, dig into the, uh, the discussion here that we want to have, which is really how do we sustain the engineering fight, particularly in the defense, but also as we go along. And so to start with, we'll talk about uh, what we in the sustainment community call 3-5 Mike Mike, or fuel, ammunition, maintenance, and medical, um, particularly in the defense. As we think about that in terms of engineering requirements, what typically comes to mind uh, is an increase in fuel to operate the engineering assets, the, the dozers and the blade time, uh, and we think about class four, which is not necessarily in that three, five, Mike, Mike. Uh, could you start off and talk about some general uh, supply considerations uh, and sustainment considerations that you may have uh, in the defense? Yeah, so the big thing that we have to go back to is how much of it are we going to need? And, and that really gets hard because if I'm looking at a division planner's perspective, I don't want to get too prescriptive to limit, so I don't limit those the flexibility by the brigade commanders in the close fight, and then especially down into the, the maneuver battalions as they go through their engagement area development process, down finally all the way to the engineer platoon leaders and squad leaders that are helping build those obstacles. And, and we don't get a lot of that feedback back until they get on the ground. What we've got to think through is, is predictively, how wide are these engagement areas? How wide are these avenues approaching? We can start doing some rough math because it, a lot of this is bulky. A lot of this is maybe long lead time items or some of them, depending on the munitions system we might want to employ, might have a controlled supply rate. So our, our big changes over the last few years is we've got rid of row mining. We, we've been, we don't, we're not a signatory to the Ottawa Treaty but we are following it. So what does that mean? We're using mainly network munitions with controlled demolition, or we've got to do some other means. So it's driven up the class four demand in some cases. We have to rely on a lot of wire. So it's, that's, it's 
bulky. It takes time to get, we got to prepackage it in some cases or attempt to, or we've got to come up with other class four material, depending on the environment, how much is there concrete barriers we could ship all that takes time, effort, energy, and responsiveness. So we got We got to think through that and think 72, 96 hours in advance, you know, okay, what do we think the brigades might need? Get it and get it moving in that direction so we can stockpile it and get it ready so that as we go in, we, we can start placing that we don't have this lag in time. Because the problem in many cases is that the soldiers that we want to do counter mobility operations are some of the same soldiers that we want to do survivability operations. So if we've got people sitting idle for lack of for lack of the class of, appropriate class of supply, we may not get the obstacle effect that we want, or we may not get the survivability effort that we want to have in on the uh, to support those units. And so normally we talk about the art and then the science. But really what it sounds like is, is there is an art to this science because you don't want your division engineer sitting back in the, in the div main or the TAC to be prescribing the defenses that that platoon leader will ultimately build. But at the same point, I have to plan as a sustainer 96 hours out to get those supplies that he may need yeah. on it, the ground. It, and, 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 it, and it's a... a very big give and take. I, I can look ahead. I can see exactly how wide that that avenue of approach is. Kind of predict what we think is going to happen in terms of what type of obstacle effect that brigade commander might want to achieve. And then do some rough math calculation. Okay, how much resources do I got to go? And we've got to and we got to think through. Okay, what do we have available to us that we can begin to push? Because all the engineer battalions, all the engineer companies, platoons have a basic load of class five that's prescribed. That's, that's, that's on the UDL. You know, it's when do we get beyond that? How much have they used? And then what do they don't have that they might need based on their arrival into, into the, into the battle position that link up with the combined arms battalion commanders that are going through the engagement development area development process and try to integrate direct fire, indirect fire with an obstacle plan to achieve a certain effect. And, and so that's that's the hard part is like, okay, now what do I have in my tool bag? Is there something else I can reach back and request that I don't have, if it's available? And if it's not available, now what else can I do um, with an in lieu of either type of obstacle or a type, a type of resource? And that's really what's codified in ATP 390 tick 8 Chapter 3, paragraphs uh, 357, 358, it kind of goes through that process in terms of, in terms of resourcing. But you really, when you read it, you look at it, a lot of it's the end user level, you know, in battalion, company, platoon, in terms of the resource requirements. We've got to feed that back and say, hey, brigade, division, this is what we, we ultimately achieve. But if we're looking at large-scale combat operations, we might not have that time frame to, to do it in. So that's why it's critically important to think ahead how much we might need, what's the reasonable expectation, so that we can begin to push that or at least stage it at a point where we have a chance to, re to respond. Yeah, and to me that, that kind of it goes into sort of vertical and parallel planning mm -hmm. because – while the brigade commanders have an obstacle intent, 
Yeah. Really, it's those combined arms battalions that own the ground, and they're the ones that are going to be shaping the fight and emplacing and using those obstacles to meet the brigade commander's intent. So the, the brigade SPO uh, in the sustainment battalion has to be directly talking to those battalion fours, those battalion engineers, and the brigade engineer to all coordinate this uh, in time and space so we get the right supplies to the right place at the right time in order to place the obstacles. Yeah. It, it, it really, what it comes down to, if we can plan ahead at a brigade level, this is the, this is the intent, this is the brigade commander's intent. We kind of begin to do some of that detailed analysis and then we can understand, okay, space and time, this is what we expect to be needed in, in terms of class four and class five. This is where it needs to be delivered based off our read and terrain, based on the avenue of approach, based on how we think a combined arms battalion commander wants to potentially may want to fight that defense, it will solve that problem to a certain extent. But the key hit on there is the fact that it has to be a combined planning effort. The best defenses I've ever witnessed in my life, or at least the best defensive plan is one where I have everybody in the room at the brigade staff level in terms of I've got the, the brigade in, the assistant brigade engineer or the brigade engineer as the BEB commander themselves, the fires commander, the SPO maneuver, all looking, how does the ball, how does the brigade commander want to fight this? What do we think is reasonable? How do we want to make this happen? What can we do? We have a synchronized, con we have a concept, we have a synchronized plan, and then everybody understands their piece of the pie. If, if we, w and the further out we get ahead of the current fight, and we're in the future operations and plans, time horizons, it becomes, it gives us a higher likelihood of success. Which, which kind of, to me, goes back to uh, the MDMP and the RDSP process. The better you do at mission analysis, mm -hmm and lay out that terrain and see, um, you know, you're talking about the width of avenues of approach and, uh, and those planning factors. Uh, how do we uh, incorporate that starting in our mission analysis? We, it goes all the way back to the, the initial IPB. Right. So what am I looking for? How wide is the avenue of approach? What size of enemy formations come, is, is going to utilize that avenue of approach? what are their mobility capabilities? And so that begins to lead into, now what can I do? What is the terrain support? Am I in a desert terrain where it's wide open or maybe there's some restrictive mountain passes because they're not getting, you know, you're not driving a mechanized vehicle on. Or in this case, in this scenario that we work with in CGSC, where it could be densely forested and some and some creeks and running through it that provides me some more opportunity to, to think through the think through those pieces and we're looking forward at okay at a division I'm not giving obstacle intent at you know at brigade I'm beginning to give the intent and I can understand that resourcing okay I'm looking at the train this is how wide it might be this is my resource build what's appropriate for this is it something I've got to generate a class four build is it something appropriate for a class five munition system uh, to do that and begin to have that dialogue and the communication. One of the things that we're struggling to understand is really all of our munition systems that we use now are self-destruct. They have to be. They, they, we're following that procedure. So even though it is a directed obstacle, 
it still is almost like an in lieu of, it's almost like a, a situational obstacle. There are certain triggers that we got to do to see to put it, you know, in order to fire that munition system, whether it's uh, ground in place volcano, air vo- volcano, or atom ram from our from our howitzer systems. Um, you know, those triggers that we ha- have to meet, we have to resource that in the appropriate amount of time it, it, to understand th- those pieces on the ground. Okay, I'm going to envision that there. What else do I need to do? What, what, what are some associated resource bills with those? And then we, we take that, we look at, okay, can we even do this? What does the ROE allow us to do? All right, we got it. We got to scratch that out so we, we know, okay, ROE is not going to let us do this. Can we, can we do can we do something else? And then I begin to form that. I, I feed that. I build that integrated plan. It gets turned into, if we go into course of action analysis, all right, I, I think specifically we're going to do X here, going to do X here, driving these requirements, you know, based on, based on our analysis, looking at the terrain. And, and we start, and we have to war game that. Does this work? Does Is this appropriate? How did the enemy rea- potentially react to it? But really what I'm paying attention to is, can I get the get the classes of supply there in time? It, it's it's a very it, it it can be very detailed, but at the same time we have to be careful because if if we start looking at oh I want this type of obstacle, and I think it's going to require this type of resource, is that on the ground? So it, it, it we have to be very we have to be flexible enough that if the terrain doesn't support that or the time doesn't support that because what if our timeline's not holding? What if it's got to accelerate? Right. What can I, what flexibility do I have? What, what can, what can I do to solve that, help solve that problem? And one of those things, so it's really balancing anticipation and responsiveness, uh, but also with that time factor, and you mentioned it in terms of your munitions. Uh, but in addition, it takes time to emplace these obstacles. Yes. I mean, even class four, these aren't something that that goes in, in in matters of hours in some cases. It's especially if you're just doing it with a brigade's organic BEB, right, and not augmenting it. it and, and and that is is a key piece. Is you know, I have so many engineer NCOs. I have so many d- different vehicle sets. It, what can I do to speed that up? And also, with the complication, if my munition systems are limited, whether because of ROE or other factors. Now I've got to resort to class four. Now I've got to resort to mine obstacle, or what, excuse me. Now I have to resort to wire type obstacles complemented by an vehicular ditch dug by my internal blade assets, hopefully reinforced by other engineer assets that are being pushed to the BCT um, from, from echelon above brigade bata- engineer battalions and companies that are coming to help reinforce that. I don't have that time. So, so what can I, there's that balance in there. It's fine. It was some of the problems that we see um, out at the, at the CTCs is the fact that people just don't understand how to build that obstacle in depth. I string one strand of wire. I call that a turn obstacle. I'm good. Well, mm. op four just goes through that very quickly. You know, I've got to build, it's got to be triple standard concertina wire. Maybe, multiple layers of that space beyond so that, you know, one, one mine clearing line charge from the opposing force or whatever enemy we're facing today doesn't clear that compounded with vehicular ditches and all, and all the, and all these things. And I think that's especially compounded now that we're 
in large scale combat against a peer or a near peer adversary that has mobility assets, mm-hmm. you know, at least similar to ours, and they have the capa- capability wise, yeah. they have the capabilities to, to clear some of the obstacles that we're in placing. Yes. Yeah. And that, in without going into the specific assets that, that they have, because we could spend hours talking <laughs> about it, we, we've got, it goes back to that IPB. What can they do? What breaching capability do they have? An assessment of where where will we likely see that capability um, show up on it within our area of op- operation so we can kind of focus in on what do we need. But at the same time, the other part of this art is I'm using obstacles to shape my engagement area, to get them into my engagement areas to so I can so I can so I can stop them, so I can be effective in my defense. So it's a little bit of what do I want right in what do I want in my in front of my main battle positions, but what do I want with some of the other supporting efforts within the BCT or the or the combined arms battalion or whatever echelon I'm fighting this defense at to get the enemy where I want them so I can achieve so I can so I can achieve the out my my outcome that I want. Right, because the outcome isn't always block yeah. or stop them, right? It's, yeah. it's they're turning, they're getting them into our engagement right. areas so that we can engage with fires, uh, both direct, indirect, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. So we've talked about counter-mobility uh, quite a bit, but those same assets, or at least some of those same assets, are used for survivability positions as well. And sometimes considered in a different warfighting function from a planning perspective. You know, engineers, right, don't just fall into one warfighting function. I kind of bounce back and forth. As we look at planning for protection or survivability, uh, how do the engineers uh, accomplish that task and how do we resource that? Yeah, and this is the really, um, this is that difficult thing, like you hit on. So counter-mobility, Mobility, that is squarely in the movement maneuver warfighting function. Now I'm talking survivability, which falls in the protection warfighting function. So I got to kind of look at it. I got to be careful not to completely segregate one or the other cognitively as I go through planning, but understanding I've got one of these units that's got to live in two warfighting functions at, the, at this level. The key is if I'm looking at a brigade engineer battalion in an armored brigade combat team, I don't have a lot of assets. Um, not getting into the into the exact numbers, but it's it's you can count on t- on two hands the amount of blades I have. So if I look at it, if I say purely, I want to focus on survivability for my Abrams, for my Bradleys and the Combined Arms Battalion. It's going to take me over seven days with just what I have alone to get one turret down position per, for those combat vehicles. And I'm not even talking the Bradley fighting vehicles and the cavalry squadron or the BEB itself. We haven't talked about radars. We haven't talked about the howitzers and the ammunition vehicles. And we're not even talking about any survivability effort for the, um, for the mission command notes. So I've got it. It's that understanding. What am I prioritizing? Where do I expect the engagement? What can I do before my true defense build starts, like you think about the, the transition pieces that we allude to at different points in the curriculum, that is 
greatly important when we're talking about the survivability. Is there, is there survivability positions that I can do for assets that I don't expect to move during the defense? Okay, for example, is the BSB going to jump? Is the BSA going to jump? I want some survivability. I want oh, yeah. my class three and my class five stocks with some sort of protective berm around them. Well, if I wait to do that until after I do all the counter mobility and survivability for the combined arms battalions, I'm never going to get there. Right. Same time as I've got to, and I've got an advantage. I got that. I've got that window of opportunity in some cases while the combined arms battalions are getting on the ground, beginning their engagement area development process, where I've got idle blades. I have idle 12 Bravo, 12 November engineer soldiers that I can do some of those tasks that never get done. I can, I can begin to build the berms around the mission command post. I can burn my radars because the radars are a high payoff target for our adversaries. We take the radars out. I don't have I don't have the ability to do counterfire anymore at my level. Right. I can potentially berm uh, or dig vehicle protective positions for my fires battalion. There's some arguments there. Do I do I do the the initial firing positions in the PAA, or do I do the subsequent ones that they can bounce to? Because you know they're going to have in their own fight be repositioning multiple times. It can I can I dig in? Can I do vehicle pr- protective positions for the ammunition characters? Things that we never get to, things that we don't think about, especially in an ABCT community. It's like, okay, my paladins have an ar- have, have armor around them. Why would I need to burn them? Well, you can see any the enhancement, the effects. The more I get from a survivability perspective, the better chance of survival uh, survival I have. It's critically important in our striker communities, in our IBCT communities, that our howitzers get some sort of protective position, you know, around them. We'll see here in a few weeks' time some of the LPDs that 101st Airborne did where they actually dug these positions out in their impact area and then fired against them. For these towed howitzers. For for these towed howitzers, for these other things, all these different types of positions. It demonstrated what this effect actually achieves when I, when I put the survivability effort against that. The key is, like we said, what's the balance? Right. Survivability versus counter-mobility effort. I can speed that up, though. So this comes into my responsibility as a planning staff at division, at core, or wherever. Now i got to figure out, how do I think that brigade commander is going to fight it? How do, how, what's, that, what's the close area look like? How do I speed up that process? So it's that resourcing of a dish of the EAB units that are held either in the MEB, that are held in the engineer brigade. If I am, if I'm, my division has been lucky enough to be resourced with them. Uh, and you, usually those are core assets, right? I, I read in a, a document this morning that the BEBs in the brigades only have about 25% of the capability they need. And the rest of that capability is up at echelons, really above division. And so synchronizing that down, weighting the main effort, I think really with those resources can kind of provide some of this along with, and if I heard you correctly, synchronizing our own assets across not only time, because we synchronize across time, but across the warfighting functions to get the effects that we desire. Yeah. 
I- exactly. I have to understand a- as I come out of the plan and I go into the, the refining piece, I have to closely track the amount of blade teams I have available, the amount of hours remaining. It, and it's almost like it's almost like a Gantt chart, if, if you will, that someone's got to track and I, my current operations sell to show what have I done? What do I have yet to do? What resources do I have to have to do it? You, you've got to put somebody against it. At the same time, that, that that's from the physical unit perspective of my blade teams. I also have to do the same thing with my class four. I have to begin to, in my class five, I have to track that. What has gone in on the ground? What do I have left available to do? But going back to the engineer um, formations, like you mentioned, yeah, those are going to come into theater, maybe start at core and be pushed down to the divisions as appropriate, how the, based on the core's assessment of how I think the divisions are going to fight, what are the division areas of operation look like, and then they will get pushed down even farther. The hard part of this, yeah, you're exactly right. 25% of my engineer capacity, maybe 30% of engineer capacity is resident in those BBs. But it's a little unbalanced in some cases. The the counter-mobility piece, we've got much more capacity than we think. When we look at it from a survivability, counter-mobility perspective, that's where that number, that 25%, is a bit more accurate and maybe even lower than that. So I've got to look for in my formation, what, have, what, have I, what do I have available? Now, what's the appropriate type of unit to send to it? it and the danger is, is that, okay, if I'm a division planner, I'm looking to, there's some thinking about battalions to resource. I'm going to push, let's say, all of the 5th Engineer Battalion to 1-3 ABCT. Well, is that appropriate? What does the 5th Engineer Battalion have underneath it? Because those are numbered companies. They're separate deployable units. Right. So we may have task organized. 5th fifth, Engineer Battalion might have a bridge company, a sapper company, and a clearance company. Not necessary to support a defense. A defense. Exactly. But it might have a a horse a uh, engineer construction company which has two horizontal platoons. That's all my blades, all my dozers. That's what I want. So I've got to make a choice. Do I, you know, do I send all of the fifth, or do I, or I start playing with with companies? There's pros and cons with that. The other thing we got to think about it from a brigade commander's perspective. We've already by MTO almost overwhelmed the BCT span of control. Right. So if I begin to, just from my foxhole as a division engineer, send that BCT commander an engineer battalion, an additional engineer battalion, what am I doing? Oh, by the way, we're not even talking about air defense. We're not even talking about additional fires. We're not talking about EOD. All these other units that we might want to put to that BCT because we see that BCT needs it. But now I've really given that brigade commander and that brigade commander staff a significant problem. So we got to look at what is appropriate, what's the right duration, and also when you think about it, what is the right command support relationship for it? It doesn't always have to be attached. Correct. Right. You, you can think of it almost in certain ways, and our doctrine leads us to this a little bit. In the defense, if I'm sending additional engineer units, we may want to put them in a direct support or general support. Uh, type relationship. In fact, it, we almost, in some cases, do that within the BCT, where those two engineer companies that are resident in the BEB might have that type of relationship during the defense. 
offense not appropriate. You know, we want Taycon or Opcon. But in, in some of the better defenses, we're talking a direct support or general support relationship. It works well. Each one's got its got its pros and cons. What it comes down to is that that flexibility for the BCT commander, and that's really what we're trying to get to. Give them the right assets so that they have maximum flexibility in their defensive planning and, and execution. So the, the big thing we have to realize is that over the last 20 years, we haven't really changed the doctrine. What we've changed is the tools to implement our doctrine. And right now, we have to understand our doctrine tells us to do more than we're physically capable of when we look at the material and the amount of soldiers to, to do so. So we have to be creative. We have to understand the BCT commander's problem and we have to resource it appropriately, but not be so prescriptive that we're telling that CSL select commander what to do. So. Awesome. Now, this has been an awesome discussion, and it covered quite a few of the, the challenges and the problems that we see, um, not only in the defense, but also just throughout the staff. We talked through MDMP and how some of the planning and integration between the warfighting functions, in this case, sustainment and movement maneuver when we're planning for the uh, counter-mobility fight, uh, has to start at IPB, at the very beginning uh, of the planning. We've got to start that integration so that we can make those assumptions, we can look ahead and order those materials and supplies and ammunition that we think we may need in order to fight the defense 96 hours later. Uh, so this rapid planning cycle integrating across not just movement maneuver and sustainment, but also we talked about fires, we talk about uh, protection, uh, we talked really integrating intelligence from the IPB perspective. All the warfighting functions are integrated here in order to support the defense. Uh, so I appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, everything you've brought to us in, in this conversation. I've got three more questions okay. uh, that I want to throw at you, and these to help us and our audience get to know you a little bit more. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, what book are you reading or have you read recently that you recommend to our users? So I'm an engineer, but I'm not reading an engineer-flavored book. Um, I'm currently working on Sabres Through the Reich by uh, William Nance, okay. who is actually one of our DMH instructors. And it's about cavalry operations in the European theater of oper um, during World War II. It, I found it really enlightening. In, in the thing is, you know, we, we, we've had this debate now for the last several years of what does a reconnaissance and security formation look like from a division perspective? It, it really, the answer is it, it depends. It's MET TC. And you see throughout um, Bill's book that. We change formations, change doctrine a little bit right through World War II, and then based on the situation, whether we're talking core cavalry groups or, or cavalry groups supporting division, we task organized as appropriate to meet the, to meet the need and the threat of the formation at the time. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite movie? I'm going to say Hunt for Red October. Uh, that, yeah, <laughs> probably one of the best movies ever made. Yep. Uh, Sean Connery, an absolute... Uh, star in that movie and a gentleman as always. Uh, and then if you, a little bit more mentorship here, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? I would tell my 20-year-old self, pay more attention to my writing classes. 
I kind of blew them off in college. And it's come back to haunt me several times throughout my career. <laughs> so focusing on that, on that. How to write effectively, how to construct an argument effectively while writing. And as much as I focus on it, with modern communication, it's getting worse. Um, you know, I have to sit and think and, and reread my emails multiple times, reread everything that I am writing multiple times to make sure, does is my message getting across um, to my army? And I, I get ridiculed about it every day um, because I'm married to a lawyer. <laughs> and so normally at some point there is a, a figurative baseball bat smacking me upside the head going, that doesn't mean what you think you think it means. So. Awesome. Now that's such a great piece of advice uh, and, and an art, I think, that is being lost uh, as we get more uh, digital uh, but one that means probably even more now uh, than it did in the past. So, well, thanks again. Thanks for joining us, talking about engineering operations in the defense. Uh, appreciate everything. And as always, thanks for listening and join us next week on To Be Published.